In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my special, distinctive, I don't know how that happened, <laughs> co-host Patrick Pfister. You said special last week, so. <laughs> oh, okay. So distinctive co-host Patrick Pfister. Hey, yo, Mark. How are you doing today? We're doing awesome. We're, it's been a good day. We got to eat lunch outside, which never happens in Houston. Perfect weather. This is one of, what, you said three days, and I think that's about right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Patrick, what episode is this? Yeah, Mark. This is episode number 35. And we're actually sitting where today, Patrick? We are in the, uh, we were back in the National Emma Society's office here in Houston. Yeah, and we have special guests today. We do. We have, we have uh, Tim Church with Statoil. And uh, Baron, can you pronounce your last name? For Lozano. Me? Lozano. Yes, just like it's spelled. Yes. Okay. So welcome in, y'all, too. So before we get into the whole BP MS-150, Tim, how did you get in the oil and gas industry? I have a degree in safety engineering from Texas A&M. And That's rare. Yes. No, it really is. There's a lot yeah. of very few HSNing people I've met actually have a degree. And uh, oil and gas was down in the in the mid-'80s, so I actually got my start in aerospace and um, worked uh, up in Fort Worth at General Dynamics. And after um, about five years, the OSHA process safety management standard was kind of kicking up. Right. And um, there was um, several people that were working in aerospace all moved down to Houston and started working in oil and gas to help with the process safety management standard and take the learnings from aerospace. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize you had an aerospace background. Today at lunch, I made a joke about aerospace uh, uh, engineers. I hope that didn't offend you in any way. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, and my, and my joke is that oil and gas engineers, especially subsea engineers, make the NASA guys look like Lego builders. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you this much. When you talk about process safety and the actual science of safety, NASA is, has to lead the way. I mean, they, once again, they have, a zero fa- they have to have a zero failure business. That's right. So learning safety in aerospace set you up to bring those processes and procedures and the way you think about things to the oil and gas industry, which is also a very safe industry, but maybe lags behind sometimes. Sometimes, but it is a very complex industry. You're working um, in deeper waters and extreme temperatures and pressures. So, and a lot of times we, we do learn from aerospace, but a lot of times we can actually teach aerospace too. That's cool. And, and you know, it's cool. We've talked about this on other shows. Um, as an industry, and lately, we've got to the point where we share more stuff. We share best practices, which just makes it safer for everybody. That's right. Um, a lot of companies, they, they, they agree that safety is not something at a competitive advantage. They want to share as much as they can. And, and I love that. We had a, who was it, Patrick? National Oilwell, who invented a, a piece of The hardwood. hard hat, yeah. The- yeah. And, and they, they go, we want our competitors to have this. We want them to be safe as well. Com- safety is not something that we're competing on. We want everybody to be safe. It's just it's the, the way that our industry thinks about that just touches my heart. Well, without going too much down the rabbit hole, what do you see? So when you share safety, and I see a lot of it when I was working in upstream, everybody shares the information when, when an incident happens. How do you see the sharing is the findings, the root cause, the, the fixes for the incident? Do you see that as being equally shared or people still keep, kind of keep that close to the vest? Right. I think, I think a lot of the shared learnings and that come from um, in industry trade groups. 
and, and safety associations like American Society of Safety Engineers or through API and other industries like that. Um, and then locally, in some of the areas where we operate, like the Eagleford, they have a group called STEER, and um, they have an HSE committee that has about 12 or 14 companies, and they do a ton of sharing. Really, really that is awesome. collaborative group. That is really awesome. And uh, uh, not to stick with Tim for too much longer, but um, you know, you work for a little company people may have heard of before. What's the name of the company? Statoil. Yeah. And when I say little, I'm joking. If you don't know who Statoil is, they're huge. <laughs> um, so, uh, Baron, you have a background in our industry as well, don't you? I have some, yeah. It's yeah. not technical, though. It's not like Tim's. It's not in the technical background. It's more in the business operations background. Yeah, and you used to work for a company everybody calls Big Red. A I piece did. of Big Red. I did. I worked for Big Red, yes. I worked for an acquisition of Big Reds. Yeah. So, And you're dating yourself when you call it acquisition because that was yes. a long time ago. It's been a while since they've acquired anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, remember, I got it. I remember when they acquired Landmark. That was a big yeah, deal. And it, it was. was um, it was a kind of a little bit scary on the outside because Landmark and Halliburton are both clients of mine. And Landmark had a little bit different culture than Halliburton. It's like, oh, God, please let this work. Let this come together. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. And actually, what was interesting was to see how Halliburton did try and adapt some of the things that actually came from Landmark. Yeah, and that was surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. it's um, And so let's talk a little bit about the whole reason we're here, which is the, the uh, uh, BP MS-150. If our if our listeners have no idea who what the BPS... M- M- Patrick, do this for me. I can't say it, get it out right. <laughs> oh, what what is the BPMS one hundred and fifty? What is it? What is it here for? Why are we Why are we talking about it? If our listeners haven't heard the previous episode, well, the BPMS one hundred and fifty is a fundraising event for the National Multiple Sclerosis Society, and it is an actually a bike ride from Houston to Austin, about one hundred eighty four mile bike ride. And uh, historically, we have anywhere from twelve to fourteen thousand cyclists who participate in this event every year. So it's a significant event and logistically a a big event trying to move people from Houston to Austin over a two-day period, moving 12,000 people. It's a significant fundraiser to help fund uh, research for multiple sclerosis as well as programs for people who are living with MS. And uh, it's, uh, it's a great cause and a wonderful group of people to be involved with. Yeah, and the oil and gas industry is heavily invested in this. Yes, it's it's uh, it was almost like a perfect storm. Uh, this is uh, the largest uh, MS event in the United States, and I really do believe that Houston is just a unique environment that where everything has kind of come together. We had the uh, base, the industry base of people uh, who were who became interested in riding companies that decided to jump in and sponsor. And uh, once you've got a few oil and gas companies involved, then the competitors have to be involved because they don't want to be left out. Then the vendors tend to follow in because <laughs> they don't want to be left out. Right. Uh, and then you have the residuals where the bankers got to be there because these are their clients. And uh, and it just becomes a snowball. So I really think it was a don't perfect Don't forget the storm. breweries. Or something. Yes, and then a few <laughs> of the breweries, of course, because we all get very thirsty riding into Austin. <laughs> It's um it's and all this money goes for just a fantastic cause. It's actually making really good progress. You know, since our first show, Patrick actually went and did some research on MS, and there's actually been a lot of breakthroughs in recent history around treatment, and and it looks like knock on wood. I'm not gonna do it because we're on the mics, but you know we're we're looking at line of sight into maybe a possible I don't want to say cure, but a, a way of eradicating the symptoms, and that's that's all from people like you who have raised money over the years so that you can fund the research. Research is unbelievable. I had the privilege about three years ago of attending the national uh, conference for the MS Society, and they had panels where they bring in the researchers to talk about some of the the breakthroughs that they're experiencing in their work. And it's really unbelievable some of the things these folks are doing. And it's it's truly, 
truly uh, a, a uh, tribute to all the thousands of people around the United States who, who contribute to this event as well as the other Bike MS events that are around the country. And I want to talk a little bit, since this is the HS&E show, um, Twelve to 14,000 people on the road for two <laughs> days, a little bit of a, a, a safety concern and a logistical concern as well. Y'all have an unbelievably safety record, right? I actually did some research on it. What do y'all do to make sure y'all keep that many people safe? Well, it's, it's, uh, it takes a village to make this happen. Safety has been at the heart of, the, of this event for many years, and uh, there are lots of different things that we do uh, with the MS Society to help make the organ make the ride safer and uh, we have a we have a safety committee actually that's probably at the heart of some of the uh, some of the initiatives and then we have uh, programs within that that are designed to help raise the safety awareness for all the cyclists and uh, kind of plan uh, properly so there's uh, obviously lots of logistics planning where safety is at the heart of it but as well as for the riders uh, we do a lot of education, a lot of rider education, because ultimately we are all responsible for our own safety. Right. So we, we have to take responsibility for our own safety. And it's not just mine, but it's the guy riding next to me and the guy riding behind me, because it's not actually just the guy riding next to me that's important. It's his wife. It's his family. It's his kids. If he doesn't come home because I knocked him off his bike and caused him a serious injury, it's not just about my safety. Now it's someone else, and, it's, and it affects an entire family. So uh, there's, there's a lot there, and we try and communicate to the riders uh, all the different options that they have in order to help them ride safely. And uh, there's a lot of initiatives that we have in place that are constant, and there's constant communication with the teams. The team captains are a big part of it. All the major teams have safety coordinators, and their role is to actually help build communication around safety with each of the individual riders on their teams. So there, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, we have a lot of volunteers that focus on it as well. So it's, it is, it, t- it takes a village to make this all happen. Yeah, and it was interesting today at lunch, you actually mentioned something that perked my ears up. Y'all actually have two mobile surgical centers. Now, anybody mm-hmm. listening to podcasts, don't think you could go get surgery there. <laughs> but y'all are prepared ahead of time. If something happens, you can respond as quickly as humanly possible. That's awesome. We have a very uh, professional medical team that supports this event. And uh, it, it's, it's kind of, I, I don't know whether they would call it this, but I, I, I kind of view it as tiered. So there's a whole variety of different things we do. So every single break point, which is spaced around 10 to 12 miles apart, we have a medical team at each one of those break points. And they provide everything from basic things to uh, maybe some triage if there's any major issues. We also have roving medical teams that are on the route in vehicles. They're, uh, they're where we also have ambulances on call that are in nearby communities or they're, they're staged in specific areas, and we track them. So we have GPS tracking system. We set up a command center here in this building, and uh, we, tr- we can track where all the vehicles are. In most cases, we know where everybody is. And, uh, and then, of course, we have a relationship with every single one of the hospitals between here and Austin. And we actually place people in those hospitals to serve as liaisons. So if somebody does get injured and has to be transported, we actually have somebody at that hospital who can work with them and their families to make sure that they're properly taken care of. And then, of course, at our major stopping point, which is our overnight in LaGrange, we have these mobile centers that are equipped with doctors and nurses, and they can provide some more sophisticated services than you might be able to get at the breakpoints. So they can help 
um, prevent us from having to transport for certain types of, of issues that people might be experiencing. Yeah, this it, is not a family bike ride that you do around the block. <laughs> this is well-coordinated. It yeah, takes it, a lot of planning, yep. Yeah, and, and Patrick, you know, you and I were talking about this. It's um, because of all this pre-planning and all the work, and because y'all have done it, y'all have the experience of doing it so many years, it makes it a much more enjoyable ride. Because a very, very small percentage of people have any problem whatsoever other than maybe having to, too much to drink one of the days and having to get back on the bike. <laughs> but um, that just makes it much more enjoyable for, for everybody out there to know that no matter what happens, you got your bases covered. And she talked about a lot of the big, big things, the medical emergencies, but I mean, things as small as getting a flat tire and you're stuck out on the road. You've got ride marshals that are out there to help you because a lot of people don't know how to change a tire. And we do. We do. We have 220 ride marshals. And uh, we've got one in, one in the room with people. us, right? This is your uh, actually, we are both ride. Oh, you're marshals. both ride marshals. Yes. I'm sorry, yeah. And um, I actually co-chair the program, so I've um, I help run the run the 220 volunteers. And ride marshals are an interesting group of people because they're actually uh, riders. They are cyclists. They are uh, registered participants in the BPMS 150. They pay to ride. They fundraise. We actually have a number of Club 300 uh, members on our on our ride marshal uh, roster, and uh, they basically sacrifice their rides in order to make sure that it's an enjoyable and safe experience for the other participants. So if you're stopped on the side of the road and you've got a flat tire, you're going to have a ride marshal there who's going to help you figure out how to change it. If you don't know how, change it for you. We have, uh, they'll, they'll help with basic mechanical issues. We help if somebody is injured or having medical distress. We're not first responders per se, although we have all been trained in basic first aid and CPR. Generally, we, we hand that off to somebody with more experience. But if we're the first on the scene, we do have at least enough training to handle it at some point. Uh, and we're, you know, we're there to help coach the riders. We spend a lot of time coaching and guiding the riders on how to ride safely. Uh, what's the best way that they could ride in order to enable the other riders around them to get around them safely or vice versa. Yeah. So it's a cool experience. You talk about the importance of, of ride marshals and all the training that y'all had. But once again, this is just to make it a much more enjoyable experience for all the people that are participating. Our goal, at least my goal, and I think the goal of the rest of our volunteers, is to make sure that every participant in the BPMS 150 gets to Austin with bugs in their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so Tim, coming from a professional HSE background and at the same time also being a ride marshal, when you're, what was your first experience like with this group? Did you walk in and go, they really have their act together as far as safety? Yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> Actually, um, this last Saturday was my first uh, time in one of our recommended rides of being a ride marshal. Yeah, and so, you know, you come from that background and you see all the work and the dedication and the thought they've put into this. I mean, this is a well-run machine from a, from a safety point of view. Yeah, I've been on the safety committee for the ride for the last three or four years. And so I, I kind of know what it is uh, and all the hard work that and all the planning that has to go in to make sure it is done safely. Yeah, and planning, I bet, is a huge part of it. But there's all kinds of things y'all have learned over the years that you have to get out in front of a month, two months, three months, four months, uh, just to make sure you have all, all your you know logistical stuff, all your ducks in a row. So that pre-plan probably is, is as important as almost anything else. It's almost a year-round job. Is it as really? A volunteer. Yeah, we get to take about three months off in the summer, and that's about it. So our our steering committee based in Houston. We have two steering committees, a Houston steering committee and an Austin steering committee. The Houston steering committee is a bit larger than the Austin, mainly because the ride starts here. Right. And so a lot of the logistics are managed here. We have about 35 people on the steering committee and they have responsibilities for everything. We have a medical team. We have a, a CERT team, which is a community emergency response team. 
They manage all of our entrance and exit points out of our break points to make sure that the riders get in and out of break points safely. Believe it or not, that's one of the highest risk areas on our ride is the entrance and exit points of break points. Trying to get the riders from crashing into each other, bumping into each other, knocking each other over, stopping right in front of each other. So we have to make sure that we get them in and out of break points safely. We have a ham communications team. We have a uh, break points team where they manage and decide where the break points are and how they're laid out. We've got a bike store team. We have a medical team where they're roving, not just our regular medical team, but we also have bike medics. So they're EMTs, firemen, nurses, doctors who actually ride and are on their bikes and available to help. And we have police as well, law enforcement that are on their bikes and ride. And we have uh, our um, logistics team. They're responsible for the supplies. So that's a huge job, getting the supplies to all of the break points, making sure that everybody has what they need, when they need it. You have to have drivers for all those trucks. And we also have SAG vehicles that are vans that will pick riders up along the route if they have distress, if they have problems, if they have a mechanical that can't be fixed on the road. And then we have uh, bus stops at every break point. So one of the cool things about the BPMS 150 is you don't really have to do the whole ride if you don't want to, because <laughs> it's really all about raising money for, for, for MS. Yeah, of course. So, you know, if you're really not that well-trained, you didn't get to do it, you can actually go to a bus stop at any one of the break points and they'll take you forward to the next break point. So you can chop 10 miles off pretty easily and nobody will know. <laughs> you know, it's um, you said it takes a village. This isn't a village. This is a major metropolitan area. <laughs> it does take a lot. And, and uh, we're really blessed with fabulous volunteers. The staff here is amazing. They're dedicated. The hours that they put in are unbelievable. And uh, they're just fabulous. They can't do it on their own. It's not possible to put this event on with just the staff. They do not have the bandwidth to handle it. And the only way it works is with volunteers. And fortunately, we're very lucky to have some very committed and talented volunteers who've been involved with the organization for as long as the event's been around. We have some folks on the steering committee that have been leading their groups for 30 years. Wow. And that's yeah. one of the most impressive things to me, how many volunteers the MS, the BP MS-150 has for the amount of riders and the low incident rate, the, the low number mm-hmm. of injuries, because it's not a huge staff from the National MS Society working, it's volunteers, it's people from the community, it's riders, it's people from Oil and BP and everywhere else just contributing. It's very true. Yeah, it's interesting. I was going through their website and, you know, uh, BP is, is the number one top team, right? But St. Arnold's, St. Arnold's bike team is chasing them down, right? <laughs> so, so you know, if you're in the oil and gas industry and you don't want a brewery to chase down one of the super majors out there, put a team together. Get some money together. It's not hard to do. It's a great cause. And let me just reiterate, there are a lot of people that take this very seriously as far as riders, but it's not a race. It's it's a way to raise money for a really good cause. And people have a really good time. I mean, Patrick, you've ridden this before. I've, yeah, several years. And I, I'm actually kind of happy I'm not riding this year because I get to enjoy LaGrange a little bit more. I'm you know, dog tired at the end of day one, I'm in the sack by eight, eight thirty at the latest. Um, so I'm excited to get to enjoy more of the festivities in the Grange, but it's a, it's a fun ride. It, it's not as daunting of a task as everybody thinks it is. It's, it's com- completable. It's a bucket list item for a lot of folks. They decide, well, I'm going to try it. And what's interesting is that somebody will say, well, I'm just going to try it and see if I can make it happen. If I can do it, it's almost like trying to run a marathon or something. And then they get hooked. They get hooked on cycling, and we have a very large cycling community in Houston. You can ride year-round, even though it's a little warm in the summer, and uh, we're lucky about that. We can ride in the winter, which most parts of the country, they can't, and uh, that's when it really gets fun is people start to really get committed, and then they start training for it, and 
It's a lot of it's a lot of fun. I tell everybody, and when I was captain, I tell everybody that on the Cedril team or the people we we're trying to recruit, it's not about your physical ability to compete it if you want to train for the ride bring a bike saddle into the office and sit on it for eight hours because that's where the training comes in (laughs) that's true it's true and if you guys uh that are listening saw me you would not think that i was capable of riding 200 miles so you don't have to be a life athlete to make this happen and we talked with michael last time there are a lot of people with ms that compete this complete this ride it's not these aren't the top olympic athletes out there these are everyday people that are just going out to raise money for a great cause and enjoy a bike ride with it Yes, and we do have people who are living with MS who participate, and uh, it's just amazing to watch those guys uh, work through it and get, some of them get all the way to Austin, some of them get part of the way, but they, they're determined and they get on their bikes and they go. Love that dedication, right? Uh, makes me not want to, makes me want to join because I have no excuse. I have, some, I have several people with MS actually completing the ride. I should go. The sporting team's mascots do it. I've, I've ridden past Clutch and the others that, if they can do it in a full <laughs> mascot costume in that heat (laughs) i think anybody can yeah we did have uh we've had clutch do it we've also had uh orbit 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 he's also participated (laughs) and completed the event as well that's crazy that's just just, just crazy stuff and so patrick we talked about this at lunch we're gonna play a big role out there we're not quite sure what it's gonna look like but the podcast will be there in some form or fashion Probably could do I think some, all the podcasts are going to yeah. be there. Um, we're definitely going to talk to some people that have completed the ride, some of the teams, and find out what their experience is. And I think we're going to put a lot of video together. Yeah. So if um, you know, if you'd like to get on the podcast, perhaps is another reason for you to go sign up and, and and go ride the ride. So so one of the things that I think is really cool about all this is I was going through the the teams that you have just real quick. Y'all have like the who's who in the oil and gas industry as participating teams. I mean, I, there's nobody that's not that's not there. Uh, and so, you know, if if you're a company out there and you're thinking about, you know, what should your employees do with their time, their charitable money, here's a way for you to rub elbows, at least on the cycling field, with with I mean, the super majors and the major service companies and the pipeline companies. I mean, they're all represented there in a fun environment. That's absolutely true, and we're we're very fortunate with the Ride Marshall program because we have Statoil as our sponsor. So, uh, in addition to the commitment that Statoil has made to the ride itself for their team and uh, and uh, their employees, um, they actually support the uh, Ride Marshall program for the BPMS 150. So we have a special relationship with Statoil. Yeah, go Statoil! That was awesome for y'all to do that. Oh yeah, and one of the, one of the things about the Ride Marshals that I've I've the only negative thing I've heard about the Ride Marshals is the Ride Marshal themselves can't wear their team jerseys so you, they were in their big red ride marshal outfit you can you spot them you know exactly who they are but they they all want to wear their team jersey too that's yeah right. that's a flip side yeah <laughs> they they get to wear the sexy red jersey yes do you yeah. at least get the team jersey well yes we do you get it so you can wear it later if you wanted to <laughs> yes yes yeah. so i i always enjoy the summers when i ride i have a group of friends that i ride with regularly every every sunday at least in the summers and sometimes saturdays and sundays and i always enjoy pulling out my jerseys uh, that I never get to use during the training season. Yeah, but you definitely earned it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> yeah. After and, 18 years, yes. And that's another thing they do that's, that's really fun and exciting. They have uh, they have jersey competitions in LaGrange. They have the what, top team jersey, you know, top MS-related jersey. So they make it fun all around. So the I've even had people that didn't want to ride but wanted to help design our team jersey when I was at Cedrill. So it's it's more than just a ride. It's a huge fundraising event that gets everybody involved. Yes, and also we have um, a, a series of, of team safety awards that we give out to the teams in the fall. 
uh, for the prior years for the prior springs ride and it's very competitive for the safety awards we have different levels and uh, there are requirements that uh, the teams have to meet in order to reach the silver uh, the bronze silver or gold level and then we even have a platinum level which is kind of the uh, above and beyond level awards so it's not necessarily awarded every year uh, but it's a highly coveted award. The greatest benefit of earning, of earning the Platinum Safety Award is uh, if you spent any time on our event, you realize that getting the riders out of LaGrange in the morning on day two, on Sunday morning, we have about 8,000 people in the fairgrounds. So it takes a long time to get 8,000 riders out of that fairgrounds and onto the road safely. The Platinum Team Award winner, Safety Award winner, gets to leave uh, first. So oh, wow. they're the first team out. It's a couple hours in that line. It can be. Yeah. It can be. And then but, people get up really early and get in line even earlier than that. So some yeah. of them are in that line much longer than they need to be. I recommend go left. Just everybody go left and you'll, you'll, you'll pass <laughs> Take up the... Take the Bechtel Challenge right. route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Patrick, if we're out there, we have to find out if there's a platinum... Uh, out there, we have to, I mean, who, we have to get them HSC podcast. We got to get up early because they're the first ones out of the gate on Sunday they morning. Are, they go out right after the Club Three Hundred riders and the riders with MS, and and our sponsors, our title sponsors. So, um, BP, we do let the BP team out as well as uh, Bechtel. They they sponsor the challenge route, so they okay. go out, and then the oh. Platinum Award winner goes out after them. And this year, it's Exxon Mobil. Yeah. Well, Exxon. Congratulations, Exxon. Yeah. Um, and that's something we didn't talk about was the, the Club 300. Can you explain what the Club 300 is and why they're recognized? Yeah, the Club 300 is a uh, is uh, is that are the top 300 fundraisers for this event. So we rank them from one to 300. So the number one fundraiser is number one, and they actually wear their rank as their bib number for the event. So in, so their 2016 fundraising determines their rank for 2017 in terms of their bib numbers. And Mark, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars to get in that, that Club 300. Absolutely. The, uh, so we have 300 people who raised over $4 million. Wow. Just those 300. Needless to say, we take good care of them. Right. <laughs> I was in it one year. And I remember I was, well, I was at the bottom. I was at like 298. But at the end of the, you know, they're, they're about to close down fundraising and you're just fighting for that extra $20 because you don't know where the cutoff's going to be. There's no set minimum. It's, or a, maximum. it's, a, it's a definitely a moving bar. Uh, every year it changes. So you could get into the uh, Club 300 with a, you know, with, with $8,000 worth of fundraising or it might take 10. It just depends. And of course, it's gone up over the years. I was, I was a Club 300 member for four or five years, and I think I made it up to number 98. Um, but I'm not sure I could even come close to number 300 now because it's uh, the it's very competitive. Yeah, it's kind of cool to take some of that competitive spirit and use it to a good cause like this, right? Yep. Um, that, that's great stuff. And can you imagine, like you said, it's the who's who in oil and gas. Now think of the award ceremony, and you're getting the platinum or gold or silver if, ahead of your, your competition, your competitive drilling or operator. Yeah, I, I can see that getting, especially, I can see that actually getting funny after a while. Like somebody's manager's uh, back in uh, town going, if y'all don't take that number one position, <laughs> if you let our competitor get ahead of you. Well, that, that's what I did. I started off, um, the first year I was just a rider with the Stadol team. And the next year they said, uh, we want you to be the safety coordinator. And I said, okay, but if we're going to do this and we're, uh, as a sponsor of the of the ride marshals uh, and being a, such a safety component of this i want to make sure Stadol is is in line for a safety award and so 
happy to say for four straight years, we've been a gold safety. Oh, that's awesome. Good for y'all. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It all kind of feeds back into the whole, um, you know, making sure everybody's safe so that you can have a good time. So this money goes for a good cause and people come back next year and sponsors come back next year. Well, it shows the commitment to safety. That if, you know, Statoil is worried about their people in the field and at their at their installations. But on a charity event, we want to be the top safety team. That's That says something about a safety safety culture. That's right. And it's not just Statoil. Um, half of our team are friends and family members, too. So we want to take our safety message that we use every day in work, but also help educate our, our friends and families that may not be in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, you always know somebody that's in a family where somebody works in oil and gas because that, that safety culture kind of gets pushed down. I, I have an 11-year-old son, and he cannot come down the stairs without a hand on the stairwell. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know, it's just, it's just ingrained. As Patrick and I joke all the time, you go in the parking lot right now, see who's backed in? It's me and Patrick, right? Probably y'all too as well, right? It's just, it's just part of our industry, and it's, I just think it's kind of cool. If you yeah. really want to have a true safety culture, then you have to find a way to connect with the individual members of your organization and have them connect to take it home and make it personal. Yeah, because it doesn't... It has to be personal. And uh, it, it really, once it clicks in somebody's head about how personal safety really is, it changes it changes your entire perspective on everything that happens around you. I, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of companies on their, on their safety cultures and, you know, I've heard stories of guys taking the safety glasses from their, from their work uh, one guy that used to take his safety glasses from work and he'd keep a box of them in the back seat of his car and he'd drive down the street. And if he saw his neighbors cutting their yards and they didn't have safety glasses, he'd stop and yeah. hand them out the window. And he was known in the neighborhood as that crazy safety glass guy. <laughs> but it, it, it becomes a part of you. And that's, you know, I think that's important that we try and, and transfer that to our riders, to our sponsors, and to all of the volunteers and the participants that it, it's all about each one of us and caring about each other and keeping us all safe. Yeah, if um, if if there's a separation between the way you think about safety between work and home, that's an issue, right? It, it has to be part of your everyday, regardless if you're at work or not at work. That's one of the things I think our industry does unbelievably well. It's um, Patrick and I talk about this all the time, but um, 20 years ago when I got in this industry, if you looked at the way safety was looked at compared to now, it's night and day difference. Um, you know, people now have the ability to stop the job, and you're not fussed at like you were 20 years ago or worry about being fired you know even if you don't know exactly what it is if it just doesn't feel right and i love that it's uh last year in the u.s it was actually statistically safer to work in the oil and gas industry than it was to work in real estate and i think that's wonderful that we've we've pushed now i don't know what's going on with the realtors out there um but anyway um all really good stuff this is a great event um we're getting close to winding down it's about time for our red wing safety tip of the week and or when y'all go do our safety tip for them, the BPMS 150, the one of the biggest uh, areas that we have um, from a safety standpoint with our riders is is dehydration, and so we're coming up on the summertime. So always remember to to hydrate. Yeah, and you know that hydration thing is so important. By the time you're thirsty, it's too late, right? Pay attention to your intake of liquids, watch your urine color, and you'll be fine. Um, yeah, make sure you pee on a regular basis. It's 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 not a very sexy thing to talk about, but. You should be stopping to to use the restroom every break point or every other break point at least. Yeah, yeah, to, and to stay hydrated. And dehydration, if it gets too far, is is can be debilitating, right? So it's just keep the water flowing, and and you'll be fine. Absolutely, great tip. Yeah, great safety tip. Um, speaking of that, Patrick, it's uh we have a bag winner, don't we? And this week's winner of Red Wings Offshore Bag is. Wayne Elaney, uh, 
He is the founder and owner at Response Intel LLC. Congratulations, Wayne. You are the winner of this week's Red Wing Offshore Bag. So, Tim and Bear, you see the bag right behind you, right over there? If you'd like to win one of those, it's really easy. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in there. We draw one lucky winner a week. And audience, it's not just for Tim and Barron. It's for y'all too. So if y'all want to go, throw your information in there. And then if you're listening, uh, you also can go to Oil & Gas This Week and enter there. But our show, since we have a smaller audience, is a much better chance of you actually winning one of these bags. Enter ours. (laughs) Enter ours. Yes, that's true. a LinkedIn group, Patrick, can we talk a little bit about the LinkedIn, the LinkedIn group? The LinkedIn group, the uh, Oil and Gas Global Network, or OGGN if you type into LinkedIn. Um, that's where we put all the information about the show. People share job leads and questions about the industry. It's just a great companion to the show and it, a lot of information about oil and gas. So if you uh, if you want to reach out into the social community, that's a great place to do it. Yeah, it's for this show and all of our podcasts and all our future podcasts. So it's sort of like our family. So reviews, if you like the show, do us a favor. We're, we're very negligent on reviews. We want them. Y'all just haven't been given us. So if you <laughs> listen to the show, please take the two minutes. It takes hey, no news iTunes. is good news, Mark. <laughs> well, you know, that's a good point, Patrick. If you don't like the show, let us know that too in the reviews. You know, we want five, four, and five stars. We'll take one. We want to know what's going through your head. Uh, we have a website. We mentioned it earlier. It's oilandgashse.com. It's the home for the show. <laughs> Our webmaster. Oilandgashse.com. Isn't that what it is? You keep saying oil and gas, H-S-N-E. Oh. There's only one N. This is the second time. Okay, let's try it again. Oil and gas, H-S-N-E. Oh, I'm leaving this in. Okay. You leave it in, dot com. Um, home for the show. There must be 30 different ways for you to sign up. doesn't matter what um, operating system you run on. We got you covered. There. You can also listen to it from the website. When you go to the website, you can give us your email address. We won't spam you. And this is how we will notify our most loyal listeners first of anything we do, like the live event that we're going to do eventually. And OTC and the BPMS 150, find out where we're going to be because we are, we're going to be all over the place and we will let you know. Yeah. And we've got to thank our on the road sponsor, Lee Heck and Harrison. Uh, they're global experts in talent management. Uh, Lee Heck and Harrison is currently helping the 75% of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies with leadership and works for transformation. Uh, they're the reason we can go to all these events. Uh, you mentioned OTC, the BP uh, MS150. We probably got some other events we're going to. If you would like Patrick and I to come to your HSE meeting, your company picnic, your gun club, <laughs> <laughs> your school, uh, reach out to us. We'd be happy to share details. It'd be a fun thing for us to do. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, this is really great. And I think it's so cool that you come from the safety background and you're taking those skill sets and experiences and helping make sure people are safe at the charitable event. That's just awesome. And then Baron, man, you're just a firecracker on this, right? You're all over this. You can see the passion you have for this event. Um, you know, we want to see if we can help you and hopefully next year we'll come back and do this some more. So I just want to thank y'all both for being on the show. And if Pleasure. we can, if, uh, if our audience wants to reach out to either one of y'all and possibly make a donation, is there somewhere they can go to do that? Yeah, to www.bpms150.net. And uh, they can actually put our names in there and put uh, put money into our our, our accounts so, I'll put some so direct, we get credit I'll, for it. I'll That's put some right. direct links to your, your fundraising <laughs> pages as well. Yeah, we can give those to you. Yeah, yeah so audience, if you're listening, if you got 5 10 20 50 bucks, it's a great cause. Um, go ahead and, and follow the links and go ahead and donate. I, mean, I don't care if you give it to Tim or Barron. Maybe they care, but you know, all, <laughs> all the money is going to a great place. Um, so about at the end of our time, Patrick, is there anything else we need to go over? I think that covers it for today. Yeah. All right, so let's get out of here. So, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. 
Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. done um, quite a bit of work recently in oil and gas construction and it's really getting safer and safer commercial construction is getting safer and safer but you go out to where they're building houses and you see actually they're building three houses on my block right now and they had created this um, scaffolding but they had connected it to the side of the house itself it was just kind of hanging off the side of the house there's nothing actually touching the ground and uh, the guys are not tied off, and they're just kind of hanging off of that painting. It's a, it's a pretty scary thing to see the workers not tied off when yeah. they're three three uh, floors up off the ground. Yeah, that's crazy. There was a recent story. A, a guy at, on a home site, was uh, he, he fell to his death. And the reason it was so noteworthy is the company representative ran, got some safety equipment, took it to the site, left it on site, and said it was there for him. He should have used it. And it came out in the court case that the company had after the fact giving it to him he didn't have all the oh safety God, equipment that's so horrible yeah yeah. That's yeah. yeah the best thing in safety is if you do the right thing and we, even when no one's looking that's when it really makes a difference there yeah, you go it is funny you brought that up because i've watched in our neighborhood and they do construction and when they're framing up they break every osha requ- i mean everything you can think of no eye protection no hard hats they're not tied off anywhere there's no anything for them to tie off to if they wanted to mm-hmm. horrible 